but I am so glad to be here with you today. Welcome to City Life Houston if you are new. My name is Casey Pate. My official role here at City Life is Director of City Creative. I also happen to be married to the lead pastor extraordinaire, the one, the only, the legend, the talented, the he, he's not even in here and I'm just pouring praises on him, the talented, uh, Chris Pate, and uh, we are so, so, so glad you guys have joined us today. Kayla said it, you could be anywhere today. We are just glad you're here. We hope today we will make much of Jesus and we will glorify him as we study his word together. And we have been in the series, hashtag blessed. And this is week four. We have, it's, it's been an awesome series so far. Pastor G and my husband, Chris, have done an amazing job laying a lot of foundation of what this famous Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus steps up and speaks these, what we call Beatitudes, what it actually means when he says you are blessed. That is a, a term in our culture and society that has many meanings to it. A lot of people interpret what blessed means. And so we think the best way to define it is to look at scripture. We think the best way to define what God says is blessed is to see the words of Jesus. And that's exactly what we've been doing because how many of you know the kingdom is just upside down sometimes. Like the Hamilton lyric, the world turned upside down. Any Hamilton fans in here today? Oh, thank you. I, I said it first service, but I was like, if I sang that and nobody got that reference, awkward. So uh, I just thought every time I think about the world being upside down, that's just where my brain goes. But that is the kingdom. When Jesus comes in, he says, listen, what you think is this is probably not. And let me tell you actually what it is. And so we have been looking, we have been studying these scriptures about what it means to be a blessed person. So let's start out in review and let's just read these Beatitudes together. Let's look at the words of Jesus. In verse one, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, we've talked about this in weeks past that Jesus is defining someone that is blessed, not based off of a position, not based off of a circumstance, not based off of a material thing that you have that qualifies you to have a certain title. Jesus is saying that you are blessed based off of a relational foundation. He is saying when you are doing these things, when you are this kind of person, 
you are blessed because you are secure in your relationship with God. You're in right standing with him. And because of that, no matter what happens to you in this life, you are blessed. And that is the kind of blessed I want to be because everything else is going to come and go. Everything else is subject to change, but God is not. He is the firm foundation we can stand on and we can say that we are blessed. So as we continue today and look at the further scriptures, we're going to see a little bit of a shift in what's happening and what Jesus is saying because Essentially, what's happened in these first four blessed statements is describing a kind of person. It's describing a certain way that you posture your heart. And again, we've talked about this before. These are the qualities working together. It's not separate things. We don't just say like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to like take the blessed are those who mourn. They're going to be covered. I'm good with that. And it, they, they all work together. They're all creating a certain kind of person and a certain kind of heart. And what we see in these next few verses, we actually see the byproduct of the first four blessed statements. So we talked about in these other statements, someone who is spiritually bankrupt, poor in spirit, God, I bring nothing, I have nothing to give, I'm spiritually bankrupt. Someone who mourns over their sin and the state of the world, they will be comforted. Someone who is humble, teachable, submitted, that's what the word meek means. And someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, someone who has this kind of heart posture is going to act a certain way. So now we've gone from these statements mean this is this kind of person and now we're gonna shift into what it actually looks like when this person acts. This is what the kinds of things this person would do because they are all of these things in the first four statements. So you can see how it all works together. I love it. I love the scripture with all my heart. And I think that God has something to say to us today as we continue. So the first thing that we're going to see about this kind of person that Jesus calls blessed is that they are merciful. Let's read this scripture together. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so if we are to be the kinds of people that extend mercy because we have received it, we need to look a little bit at what mercy is defined as in the Bible. This attribute, this characteristic of God. Let's see what mercy, the mercy of God looks like. And I got this as I was studying, there was a great systematic theology book that I was looking in and it was talking about just the different attributes of God. And this was really well described for mercy. And so I'm actually just going to read it and we can read it together. So let's look at this. The mercy of God describes his focused disposition of compassionate forgiveness. That's a lot of descriptors right there toward his people, especially in light of their distressful and dire circumstances. Mercy is a relational expression of God's character and flows from his attributes of goodness and love. It is a vital aspect of God's grace-based covenant relationship with his people. God's mercy is evident whenever he delays punishment, that's the key there, even when his people are lost in sin and not aware of the relational consequences this sin entails. It goes a little bit further. When the circumstances of God's people are dire, 
due to impending conflict, physical and spiritual persecution, or other types of suffering, those who fear God appeal precisely to his merciful character. We see this a lot in the scripture, especially the Old Testament. They cry out, God have mercy on us. We know you're merciful. They're appealing to God's mercy to act that he will willingly and powerfully act as he has in the past. This is the expectation they pray with. And over and over again in scripture, God demonstrates his mercy by saving, redeeming, and restoring people. And I am thankful for that this morning. I am grateful for the mercy of God, aren't you? We sang about it in the first song and I remember actually writing the lyrics to that song and just, thinking about God's mercy and the fact that every single morning it's available to me. And I didn't really qualify for that, but he just freely gave it. And we are so grateful for this particular disposition of God. But it's not just a disposition, it's actually how he responds in action. So it's not just something about him, this is something he does. He extends mercy. It's usually tied into other themes like grace and compassion as well. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus and he is coming against the scribes and the Pharisees for their lack of mercy. We see him say things like, woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. And he says, because of this, he says, you tithe, you got the law, you're doing all these things, but you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. And then he says this to them. He says, you blind guides, you are straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. How's that for a visual? Swallowing a camel, but you, you're over this little gnat situation. You're, you're nitpicking the law and you're, you're upholding this righteous thing, but you're neglecting, you're not showing mercy. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, woe to you because you're supposed to be the people of God. You're supposed to be representing God and you're not representing him well because you're actually not extending these things that God would extend. And so since this is a communicable attribute of God or a way that's transferable to us, we as his people, he looks to us to act mercifully on his behalf towards others to show his love and kindness. Someone that has the characteristics of these blessed statements that we just talked about will naturally act in this way. That's just gonna be a, a byproduct of someone who's spiritually bankrupt, someone who is mourning over the sin and the state of the world, someone who is humble and teachable, someone who hungers after righteousness. That is something you're naturally gonna do. But here's the thing, I don't really see a prerequisite anywhere in the scripture about the kinds of people we show mercy to and the kinds that we don't. I just don't see it. I don't see that here's a list of circumstances in which we would show mercy as God's people. It's just implied that this is the way we live life. It, it's implied that this is just the way you are and there is no prerequisite involved in this. But I don't really see that a lot in, in the world. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but 
I kind of see the opposite. I see a lot of picking and choosing out there. And I'm like, well, what's the guide? What's the determining factor of who receives mercy and who doesn't? It shows up in politics, I think. We see both sides and there's truth in both sides. And yet at the same time, I see both sides picking and choosing those they feel are deserving of mercy and those they feel are not. And so I, I see a lot of condition involved in how the world extends mercy. But that is not what the scripture says. That's not the person that is living a blessed life. That is not what is described about them. And I like to think of it like this. It's, it's like if I were to have inherited a large sum of money from a wealthy relative or a benefactor, I'm making this up. This isn't true, by the way. I, I, you know, it's just not my reality. But if I were to receive that with endless money, I could, I, we will never run out. I would spend that money very freely I would give it very freely because I know it's never going to run out. And we all know it's easier to spend someone else's money than your own. Got my two teenagers here on the front row and they know a little bit about that because their finances are dependent on their parents loading money into their account. And uh, I, I know uh, when Addison got a job last year, he felt the weight of that a little bit of like, oh, this is my money now. It, it kind of changes how I look at how I spend. If I'm going to stop at the gas station and get, and get Takis and a giant, you know, soda, it, it kind of changes things, right? Because it's, it's your own money. Now, he's, he's wonderful with money. My children are grateful, but it's a great example because they are completely dependent on us right now for all of their funds. So that's just not our reality. We're not going to live. We, we don't have an endless Supply. As a matter of fact, because we're sending someone to college, I, we accept all forms of, of uh, you know, Venmo, PayPal, Zelle, you know, just we would receive that. I'm joking. I'm joking. Don't, don't get caught up on that. Just a joke, mostly. But here's the thing. Someone that is spiritually bankrupt and they know I did not bring anything to this and everything was a gift that was given to me, that person gives freely because it was never theirs to begin with. In contrast, someone that begins to build up their bank account based off of their own righteousness and their own works begins to pick and choose a little bit because, hey, I only got so much. I gotta decide who I'm gonna show mercy to and who I'm not. I'm gonna decide who's deserving of mercy because I only have so much to give. And when it's gone, it's gone. So only the most worthy people. Maybe it's someone in your workplace that just frustrates you. They've dropped the ball, they've let you down, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. You're picking up their slack and you are frustrated with them. And I would say, what if this person at home was going through the worst situation that they've ever been through. And there was a reason that they just weren't getting it done at work. Are we the ones that get to decide if they have deserved our mercy or not? Not according to the scripture, because the scripture says we are merciful. We give generously and freely because we ourselves have received mercy and we did not deserve it. I did not 
earn it from God and I am grateful for his mercy and we all need mercy and grace. So we should be the first ones lining up to give it out to show that this is who God is in the world. He is loving, he is kind, he is merciful, he is gracious. And here's the thing, when we extend mercy, we are others oriented. We're thinking about other people and therefore ultimately we are happier or as Jesus would say, blessed. Why? Because this makes us closer to being like Jesus. And this is actually how you were created to live. And by living this way, the scripture also says, we ourselves will receive mercy in our time of need. And just like the scripture says, I'm grateful it's new every morning because I need it every morning. I, I'm just never gonna measure up. I'm never gonna do enough. And God's people that understand this, God's people that are the summation of the first four blessed statements we talked about will be merciful. So that's a fairly kind of, uh, you know, it, it's pretty straightforward. We're merciful, we receive mercy. I think we've all got it. So let's move on to the second statement. I don't think is maybe as straightforward. So we're gonna camp out here for a minute. Let's look at the next statement, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So here's the thing. This statement is actually the most comprehensive character of the blessed. It is an all-encompassing way to say the first four statements. It's, it's a way to say this is a heart that pursues righteousness, knows their dependency on God, mourn for their own sin in the state of the world, are humble and submissive, they're merciful. This kind of person is gonna have a singular focus and direction in their heart or pure in heart. This is a statement saying because of the above, this person is pure in heart. So let's look at the dictionary definition of pure. It is free from anything of a different, inferior, or contaminating kind. Free from extraneous matter. There's nothing mixed in with it. There's nothing added to it. The ingredient, the thing, whatever it is, is pure. We're not mixing other things with it. It kind of reminds me of a similar concept in the Bible when it talks about holiness. Holiness is being set apart, right? There's nothing mixed in with that. God is holy. He is, he is pure. And it kind of reminds me of that. But pure does not mean perfect, okay? I, don't, I want us to get that straight today because that's impossible. We'll never be perfect until we go to heaven and we see Jesus face to face and we are finally perfected. So don't think being pure in heart means you're perfect, but rather it is a heart set in its intention with all sincerity to go after the things of God and aggressively work to get rid of anything that is not of God in your life. And here's the interesting thing to me talks about being pure of heart. And the Bible actually talks more about the heart in other places. And spoiler alert, 
it's not the greatest things that it says. It says things like our hearts are deceptive. We can deceive ourselves. Later on in Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 15 that out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and yet here's the very place that Jesus says you're blessed when you are pure of heart. That's interesting to me. And even though someone who is all of the first four blessed statements we talked about in this heart posture, even though this person's going to be naturally inclined to be this way, it still implies that this is not something we can do on our own. So then we ask the question, how can we have a pure heart? What do we do? And this sounds like a question that was asked actually in the scripture in, in Psalm 119. Ironically, that Psalm also opens up with some blessed statements. Blessed is the man who blink. Blessed is the man who blink. And in verse 10, it says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? And here's the answer, it says. By guarding it according to your word. Now, when I thought about this idea and this concept, it gave me a visual picture of, of something that we can picture, and, and it's this. There's a, two glasses of water here. Now, if I, if I had these in real life and I were to pick someone out here today and say, uh, would you come... And would you volunteer to drink out of this glass full of brown water? Now, I cannot guarantee everything that is in there. I actually don't know why it's brown, but I'm assuming it's safe for consumption. I'm assuming you're going to be okay if you drink the brown water. I'm going to just guess that nobody's going to do that, including myself. I'm like, ah. I don't know what's in that. It's not clear. I can't see it. Some of you feel that way about like the ocean and rivers and lakes. Like I can't see the bottom. I don't know what's going on underneath me. That's a no for me. I get it. I, I understand. I understand why. But here's the thing. The, the word acts like a water filter because a water filtration system, we have to have one of these because without it, our water would not be clean and safe for drinking. There's a process, a guard that's put in place that filters out the impurities and things that are harmful and leaves us with clean drinking water. I am grateful we live in a land that filters and purifies our water and it's safe for drinking. Unfortunately, other people in the world can't say that. And that, that burdens me to look at that and think people don't even have clean water. But we have to have a filter. And here's the thing. The contaminated, dirty water is what we have to start out with. That is what our heart looks like. That is what the scripture is saying. Hey, your heart is full of this. Okay, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. There's a lot of things that are mixed. And we have to allow his word to help filter out the impurities to see God for who he really is. 
The scripture tells us things like in Psalm, it says, the word is pure. In Psalm, it also says his commandments are pure. In the book of James, it says his wisdom is pure. Above all things, his wisdom is pure. So he is pure, therefore he can purify our hearts. He can be the one, like the water filter, to take out the impurities within us so that we can see him clearly. And it makes me think of a scripture we see in Ephesians talking about how Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. And it says this, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ purifies his bride. He's the one that does it. But we have to posture our hearts. We have to be humble, teachable. We have to mourn over our sinful condition. We have to be dependent on him in order for him to come and purify our hearts. He will put the filter in, but we have to posture ourselves. And that is why the scripture goes through the first four statements and says, blessed are you when you do this, because you're positioning yourself in a way for God to purify your heart. And you know, it's, it's actually not even just things from within that are impure that we have to work to clean out. There are outside external contaminants that come from the world that get on us. So it's not just even within, it's from without. Things are coming against us all the time to keep us from being able to see God clearly. And Houston just happened to give us a great picture this spring that I think embodies uh, this idea and this example. You must already see it on the screen because you're, uh, you're laughing. But uh, yes, we know what this is, right? Pollen. Hello, pollen season. If you think that this year was like, man, I just feel like I can't breathe like more than normal when I can't breathe. Like it's always bad. But like this year was like so bad. Well, you would be right. Fun fact, guys. Fun fact today. We set a record in Houston this spring. We're all about setting records and trying to be great. But listen, sometimes we don't want to set the records we set. We don't want to set record heat. We don't want to set the record of pollen ever recorded in our air ever of all time. And it was 12, the pollen count was 12,477. Now, by contrast, anything over 1,500 is considered extremely heavy. That's, that's what you had. You can't breathe? That's why. Okay, maybe I helped you out today. Maybe I helped you see that, hey, this pollen came on us in a fury, okay? And we still, I'm still having trouble today. I have a scratch on my throat this morning. But here's the thing, the dust of the trees, so to speak, 
covers our windshields. There was a day I wiped it off, I cleaned it, I left, I came home and I parked in my, in my driveway and I was home for like an hour before I left again. And I went back out and my car looked like that after just an hour, it was, it was insane. But the only way that I can do anything about it, I can't control pollen. I can't control how much pollen falls on my windshield. I can only wipe it away with my windshield wipers or go to the car wash and wash it off so that I can see where I'm going. And there are some external contaminants around us that pollute the purity of our hearts and keep us from seeing God clearly. And here's just a couple. The influence of the world and culture is major pollen, okay? We are influenced by all kinds of ideas and thoughts around us. And it helps, it keeps us from seeing a clear vision of who God really is. Chris referenced a book a couple of weeks ago in his message called Faithfully Different. And it's just talking about redeeming culture and studying culture. It's, a, it's an amazing book. This is very interesting to me. Again, these, these are the kind of stats we don't, we, don't want to, we don't want this kind of high stat. We will set those in other things. However, in 2021, researchers found that up to 88%, 88%, I wanted you to hear that, of Americans bring in mixed belief to their worldview, creating an impure unrecognizable worldview that blends a bunch of different ideas. We are adding to the pure word of God. We are looking around us and looking at culture and going, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'm just going to mix that in with my Christianity because that's okay. Or we're just cutting and pasting this belief system to, to be convenient and comfortable for us. So we will take this idea from this worldview because that sounds good. I, I don't want to say that's bad, so I'm going to believe that too. Or we will say, I don't like this about Christianity, so I will omit this part because it is not convenient to the kind of world I want to live in or what I believe. We are polluting the pure word of God and we wonder why 88% of Americans cannot reconcile what they believe with what they see in the world and it doesn't make sense and it's confusing. It's because we've added. We've added to what God already told us to be pure, to be true. We have to be careful to not mix with the world's ideas. We are in the world, we love the world. We do not take ideas from the world and add it to the things that God told us already about who he is. It clouds our vision. And not only that, but sometimes the stuff of life just gets on you. You're walking through this world. We are, this is not our home. But while we are walking through this earth, we're going to pick up stuff. And just like pollen, we can't control all the things that come against us. We can't control what happens to us. And maybe we go through a really, really, really difficult circumstance. And, and it begins to make us doubt, is God really who he says he is? Is this really true? Is this filter I placed on my heart one I can trust? Because what I'm going through, it makes me not want to believe this to be true. 
Jesus even said it in the scriptures to his disciples. He's like, you're going to go in places and you're going to preach and you're going you're to talk to people and some of them will reject you. He tells them this. He says, as you go, wipe the dust off your feet as you're leaving that town. Because it can, it's just going to get on you and it's going to try to get in you. It's going to try to create a cloudy, confusing, muddied up view of seeing God for who he really is. Our vision becomes cloudy. We can't see him clearly. And things become complicated. And here's the thing about a pure heart. A pure heart is uncomplicated. And I I cannot think about this without thinking about my youngest son, Jackson, who many of you know and love. And and he's 10 years old and uh, he's on the autism spectrum. And... um, I might get emotional. I'm gonna, I didn't even say this first service, but um, he is pure of heart. He's, he's really one I think of. It's very uncomplicated to him. We tell him things, he takes us at our word. We tell him things like God heals and then he gets sick and we hear the most pure through tears, a simple prayer that only said, God help me through tears because he knows that God will help him because we told him this is who God is and he took us at our word. He didn't complicate things. And so as complicated as Jackson's life gets sometimes, I'm envious sometimes of the way that he is just pure in heart. The way he just goes through the world and just loves people and it's not complicated and he helps me when my life gets complicated. But it feels impossible sometimes. I look at him and and the way he's able to do that, I say, I can't can't do that. I've been through too much. The stuff of life is getting all over me and I'm having trouble clearing it out. Well, the first step is to become the kind of person that Jesus starts the Beatitudes with. Spiritually bankrupt. I mourn over my sin and the world's condition. I'm humble, I'm teachable, I need you, God. I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's how we start. But it's a battle, y'all, it's a battle because we're in this world and we're always gonna be in this world until Jesus comes back, we see him face to face. And so we're always gonna have stuff, we're always gonna have pollen, try to get on our windshield, try to get in us. We're always going to have our heart with us who is deceptive, who is full of evil things like the scripture says. This is a battle, but God has good news because it's a battle we can win because he did it. He made the way, he purifies, he cleanses. And that's good news. And as I close, I just want to ask the question, why is the reward of a pure heart to see God? And how does that make us blessed? What See God? We can't see him. We can't physically see an invisible God. So what does that even mean? And why are we blessed? Well, this obviously has implications of eternity. It is talking about that as one day we will see him fully. Right now it says, scripture says, we see him dimly as looking in a mirror. So we see in part, but one day we will see him. The Bible is talking about that, but I also believe that there are implications for us 
here today in this life. And the reason that seeing God is a reward is because seeing God is the perfection of our soul's happiness. He's the ultimate reward. He's it. We were created to know him, to experience the joy of knowing Jesus, and that is our ultimate reward. I'm here to tell you, any joy you have experienced in any event in your life, any circumstance, any person, any joy you've experienced on this earth is a shadow of knowing Jesus. He is our ultimate joy. He's our ultimate reward. Nothing will ever truly satisfy while we're here because we were made to know him in this way. Maybe you didn't know that every longing and every desire that's been in your heart was created to this end. But I'm here to tell you, it is. Whether you believe it or not, the deepest longings in your heart of hearts are, met, are meant to be met and fulfilled in Jesus, knowing him, walking with him on earth. That's why it's worth it to battle for a pure heart. It's worth the battle to know him so you can see him clearly and stop letting all of these other things define how you see him and keep you from seeing him and keep you from knowing him because he is the reward. He is the ultimate reward. He's it. It's never going to get better than that. But it's a battle. Being pure in heart is a battle, but it's worth it. It is a worthwhile battle because when you begin to see him for who he really is, you begin to see him in everything and everyone. And you begin to see this person that the one earlier that I couldn't extend mercy to is created in the image of God and I see God in this person and I could freely give mercy to this person because I see God in them. You see the truest, most pure version of yourself when you can see God clearly because you could see how he really, truly made you to be and run in your lane. And that can only happen when we see him clearly first because he created us. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they shall see God. And I hope today that that is your prayer. God, I want to see you. I want to take out all of the things that have been keeping me from seeing you clearly and from seeing you for who you really are. That is the prayer that I hope you pray today. God, I want to be the person that you described who is blessed. I want to be the one who is spiritually bankrupt. I know my dependency on you. I mourn over my sin and the sin of the world. I, I want to be teachable. I want to be humble. I want to submit myself to you. I hunger after righteousness because I don't have it and I want it. I hope that is your prayer today because the reward of being those things is that you're pure in heart and you will see God. And he's it. He's the fulfillment of the greatest kind of joy we could ever know.
on earth and in heaven.